Hello and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I am here with my husband and co-host Jeremy. And today we are talking to Eddie. Eddie is an activist defending people's rights. As part of the LGBTQIA community, he openly shares with us through his personal experiences the struggles he and the community face every day. The journey has been challenging for Eddie, navigating his own feelings as a child and teenager, understanding the messages from the world about homosexuality. Moreover, Eddie was rejected by his mother when she discovered I was gay, which led him to homelessness during his teenage years. Eddie is very passionate and knowledgeable about the societal issues and the state of the current world. We discuss at length about the changes necessary to make an impact for the current and future generations and create a safer and more loving world. Hi Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to hear your story and to talk more about LGBTQIA kind of stories during Pride Month. So thank you so much for being here and for taking the time. Thanks Rosie, thanks for having me. Thank you Eddie. So yeah, just to give some context about this episode, as June 2022 is coming to an end in a few days now, uh, we wanted to record this episode with you to basically talk about Pride Month and raise a little bit of awareness about the LGBTQIA plus community uh, because even if things are moving to the right direction globally, uh, the community is still facing challenges every day at multiple levels. Um, I would say like a society level and also like more personal uh, relationship levels. So I thought that bringing you on the show today to share your personal story and also to share your involvement into the community would be great to just educate ourselves and also other people. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you're right. There's, there's been a lot of progress forward. And I think as we all uh, still see every single day around human rights, whether it's LGBTQ rights or other, other forms of uh, ensuring people feel safe within their own person, um, we, we see forward movement. And then in some areas, we see some, some backtracking as well. And yeah. so it's it's good to be with you all and, and have conversations that I think help us all understand a little bit better about our shared humanity. And I think um, through storytelling, as you've said, there's there's such a power in our ability to connect with each other. Even if we may not have had similar journeys, uh, we have the ability to learn and um, yeah. feel more connected. And maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm going to steal the show for a minute. <laughs> okay. No, but I, maybe just also to give you some context, because we actually didn't talk about that before. And, and um, I'm going to share like a little story about myself. And maybe that will help to the audience and yourself you know, to understand that also people can change and stuff like that. Is that I, I grew up in a family, in a village, in a region that was pretty uh, racist, homophobic, uh, all that, like if you're not white and what society considers as normal, basically, it's not great. That's what I was uh, taught, basically, as a kid. And I've been told many, now I realize, disgusting things when I was a kid and a teenager about, like, if you are gay, if you bring a man to the house, I will shoot you, I will shoot them, you will be kicked out, you know, all those all those stuff. Um, I, I, I know some especially like a friend in a village who basically took his life because that happened to him as well, you know, in his family, he was kicked out. So um, I was at this place like 15 years ago. Uh, I was one of those people that didn't understand. Uh, and and it's just because that was raised this way and everyone was telling me that. And 
I was not curious enough to look outside of what the adults around me was telling me. And then meeting Rosie and traveling places and traveling the world and and meeting people around the world and meeting people with different religion, orientation, gender, um, skin color, skin color, yeah, everything, just different people uh, made me understand that in fact we're just all the same and, and it doesn't matter who you love, who you who your god is, who you believe in, whatever, like we're just still human beings and we pretty much want exactly the same things in life, you know? Yeah. Um, so I do know that change is possible and that's why also I want to talk about it because I know it's more a matter of education than anything else. And if, you know, someone can listen to this conversation and maybe change his mind, that'll be, that'll be cool. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's beautiful. And thank you for sharing. I'm sorry to hear about the person in your village who, who ended up feeling like they had no no uh, space of belonging where they had to take their own lives. And, and to your point, I think that is thematic. We see throughout the history of, of humankind where we don't really learn very much about ourselves uh, yeah. in the context of the greater history and maybe more based on on science and, and facts uh, that human the human experience is very colorful and we uh, you know we all come in various shapes and sizes and just as you would have variation in that form you have variation in sexual orientation and um, and it takes it takes a while I think for us to um, to teach ourselves like you said whether it's through meeting new people that can come and help, make us more curious to ask questions beyond what we've been taught, uh, to, to look beyond what we know. Um, and unfortunately, I think uh, for very many of us, uh, it, it, there's violence involved and it's unnecessary, a lot of unnecessary hardship. And I think I, I shared with you some of elements of my story. I was, I was born in Havana, Cuba, and uh, it Although that's the capital of Cuba, my parents uh, soon divorced after I was born and I went into what's called Antilla, Olguin, which is a very small fishing village mm-hmm. in the countryside of Cuba. And so as you might imagine, uh, it, there, there's not a lot of you know, universities and schools uh, that are, and even when there are those things in certain parts of the world, those spaces don't always teach you in a way that I think is more comprehensive and, and true to, to the realities of life. It tends to be um, the, 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 the teachings that maybe align with the culture at the moment, as opposed to what, yeah. what we know realities to, to be. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think education is, is key. I, I lived in Cuba for about six years, and then we had the chance to, to leave and come to move to Miami. And uh, at that point, I remember stepping out of the airplane and the, the air just smelled differently. And I'm sure maybe as adults, we realize when we go into a new city uh, or fly into a new country, uh, it may just be the jet fuel, but technically sometimes <laughs> you just feel like there is a, a, a new smell to, to the space. Um, sometimes no... Uh, not to belittle our friends from New York, but sometimes New York may not have the best uh, <laughs> smells when you're walking down the streets. But um, I, I came as a six-year-old to Cuba, or to, to the Miami, rather, and I started uh, a whole new life away from everything that I knew. And even at that point, I always knew that I was different somehow, but you're not really able to 
to put words into into the feelings because especially growing up you're not really taught how to one how to express yourself mm. um, and I think we also find that males are socialized differently than females yeah. where typically women are given much more permission and, and taught to be expressive and men are typically taught not to share their feelings or if you're hurt don't cry you know go go punch something or go <laughs> cut a tree down and yeah. so um I, I i remember early on that i i did feel different i just didn't quite know what it was and um I, the messaging uh, in popular culture at that time was oh uh, men who are with men in essence or they're like there's something wrong with those people or uh somehow the religious messaging was that you're going to go to hell because, you know, and, uh, and when you're six, seven, eight, nine years old, you, you may not have the language to say, Oh, well, you know, I'm a gay man or I'm a homosexual man. Meaning, uh, especially when you consider that the term homosexuality has only been around for a little bit over a hundred years, we really haven't had language to, uh, to put into, or, language that that would that would be affirming rather there's been a lot yeah. of language out there uh hurtful and painful language but um i i remember that there, there's just like this sense of isolation not really knowing oh it's like oh i, I i'm attracted to the, the the boys my age at that time you know so when you're nine ten years old you're more so uh, at least for me i was more so excited or i found a, a sense of attraction towards my playmates that were or my same sex as opposed yeah. to you know the opposite sex which is what every what everyone else you know the dominant culture i guess mm-hmm. um and and i i remember just feeling a lot of frustration and thinking well it sounds like I might be like that. I might be someone who's attracted to, to men and somehow that's bad. Somehow Mm -hmm. like there's something bad. And, and I, uh, you know, fast forwarding a little bit until I think I was 13 years old and, um, I, it was my 13th birthday. I'm not very religious, but I, I, I consider this moment to be, a moment of divine inspiration because I was walking home. It was my 13th birthday, which is May 13th. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at the moon. It was a full moon. And there was just so much frustration. I remember I was crying. I left my friend's house who I had a big crush on. And they're just, I, I just, I felt so confused about everything, not even knowing, you know, what these feelings are, how to put name and somehow being in stark conflict with what feels okay and what feels good i mean when we're typically when we like somebody those are good feelings we Mm. we feel good about that but there was a very big conflict in my mind about the feelings that i had and what that meant and so i remember i'm talking to to god i'm having this conversation with my version of what god is at that moment and i was crying and i thought i i don't i don't don't know what this is and i remember asking whatever deity i was praying to at that moment well if i'm if i'm that way you know i really couldn't say the word gay i didn't want to associate that with myself but i said if i'm that way god i would rather i'd rather you kill me than than me be this way i'd rather me die than than be this way 
And in that very moment, it was just kind of maybe it was all of the endorphins from crying, because but, but there was like this sense of warmth and just kind of peace that I felt. And the way that I've been able to to put words into that feeling in hindsight, as I've gotten older and I've reflected in, in that moment, is that there was a sense of, hey, kid, you're okay. You know, the only thing that matters in life is that you're a good person and that you don't stop other people from living their lives and being good people too. And it's, it's wild how life has a way to unfold and bring people to us or experiences to us that somehow help to make us a little bit stronger or know just a little bit more um, to help us on our journey. And so from that moment, uh, luckily, I never attempted to take my life in any way. Um, I think uh, I've always realized inside that I, I like living. And so, but I know that that's not the reality for very many youth, whether it's around their sexual orientation or various topics, whether there's abuse at home, uh, oftentimes kids uh, feel disconnected and like there's no belonging or space for them uh, and they, they end up taking their own lives. And so uh, we, we know that the LGBTQIA plus community, uh, specifically LGBTQ people are estimated to make up roughly around 10% of the population, which I know that kind of has been changing as we learn to one be more expressive of ourselves as human beings, and then also to poll and, and get a better understanding. But when you consider that approximately ten percent of the population is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer, and nearly fifty uh, percent of the unaccompanied homeless youth population is LGBTQ, you see a disproportionate representation. Um, and we know that roughly 42% of those, of those kids attempt to take their own lives. And so it brings a conversation forward that there's something here that we're missing. And we know uh, that education and creating spaces for people to feel connected and like they belong is important. Um, but you know, so from 13 till about 16, uh, life had a way to bring in people into, into my circle, into my world, that through conversation, whether it was somebody in high school who said, oh, you should come to this group uh, meeting that we have during lunch. Mm -hmm. And then I get there and I realize that it's a, it's a private group meeting hosted by a school counselor for LGBTQ mm -hmm. you know, students so that they find a space to be able to, to meet other people like them. Because really up to that point, I thought, well, I'm a, I might be the only one. <laughs> yeah. You're not really meeting a lot of role models. You're not meeting people who say, oh, well, you know, I, you know, who you are is, uh, you know, in, is this and it's okay. And people are different. And so, yeah. um, at, at that point in my life, I was still living in Miami and I, had enough experiences along the way to provide a level of courage, which um, at, at that point, my mother had finally left her, her domestic violence situation. She was living at, at home with her second uh, husband and we were, we were all three of us living together. He was an alcoholic, um, just a horrible human being. And so there was a lot of domestic violence in the house and I, I remember telling her, well, either he leaves or I leave, because I would rather leave, live under a bridge if need be than in a household with so much violence. 
Mm. And so um, she finally left him. And then she lost her job. We lost our, our apartment. We were basically homeless at the time, with the exception, thankfully, that somebody who she knew let us live in, in an empty house that they had. And so we, we had a, uh, a room for her and I to share. And so you had, uh, all of a sudden, her and I were living in the same room and she had a lot more time and focus on me and what I was doing. And so she started asking more questions. And so this was around the time that I was 16 or so. And uh, I was meeting more friends and going out a bit more and discovering what, who I was at that time in a much more empowered uh, space. And so I, I went out and I, I think I went missing for like two days. We were just partying nonstop that weekend. <laughs> and uh, it was a good time. <laughs> but I got back and she's, you know, she's crying and visually upset, concerned about me. And she asked my father, my biological father, uh, separate than the, the abusive uh, husband she had, to take me and find out what was going on with me, what was wrong with me. So my father and I went and we had a conversation. We had lunch. And then on the drive back, he asked me, you know, what, what's, what's wrong with you? Your mom says that you've been going, you know, you've been going out a lot. And so I, um, I wasn't quite sure what to say in terms of what was wrong with me. And so I put the yeah. ball back on his court and I asked him, well, what do you think is wrong with me? And so he said, well, I think you might be gay, which, you know, it was very perceptive of him. I had my first boyfriend at that time, and I think he was putting more of the pieces together. And so I hadn't really planned what coming out would look like. And so that just happened. And we were driving. So I remember I, I put my seatbelt on and I said, well, you know, you're, you're right. I, I'm gay. Um, cause originally he also thought that I might be a drug addict. And so mm. I told him I'm not a drug addict, but you're right. <laughs> I am gay. Um, in hindsight, I've always joked that he may have wished I was a drug addict, but I wasn't. And so I told him, I, I've tried a couple of drugs here and there, but I'm, drugs are not a problem in my life. And so, um, we talked and he, he encouraged me to tell my mom. And so we went and spoke to her. Mind you, I had grown up with her most of all my life uh, yeah. since my parents divorced when I was a year old. And so I don't know if she just took it differently, but she was crying and it was visually very upset. She blamed it on everything at the time from NSYNC, because I, I really enjoyed NSYNC at the time, which <laughs> could have been NSYNC's fault in hindsight. But, um, you know, I told her she really thought it maybe was the internet and and even offered to uh i don't know if she was joking but she offered <laughs> to uh rent me a, a female sex worker which she did not uh name it as mm -hmm. as politely as that was but i said i i declined i said no thank you but um anyhow she she's like are you sure you're gay i was like i think so this is this is the way i um that i am and so at that time there was a lot of turmoil and I, she got me out of high school. I got a daytime job to help pay with uh, or contribute to the household. And so I remember two weeks after this moment, I came home from work. I was going to night school and I asked her what was for dinner. And in, in our household being Latino food, 
especially in a space where there's not a lot of money and resources. Food is a way that families, at least my family, showed love. And so I got a a very cold response in terms of like what was for dinner. And so I, I remember I started to cry. And then she's like, why are you crying? When I told her, well, I feel like you don't feel like you don't love me anymore. And she... And, and mind you, I'm an only child, so my entire life, my mother has been the one that's there. And so breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks in between, how I wasn't mortally obese is beyond me because <laughs> it's like always feeding food. It's like, no, eat more, eat more, eat more. And so um, to give you some context, that's, I, I felt that withdrawal of, of love that I had known my whole life of my mother being there and being concerned about my eating and well-being. And so... I uh, I remember that she said, "Well, I can't I can't love you like this. I can't love you like," and and all I knew to say was that, "Well, I can't help it. This is the way that I was born. This is the way that God made me." And and then she returned the 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 conversation with something to the effect of, "Well, you know, God doesn't make shit like you. God doesn't make shit like this." And I, I remember that at that point, I think maybe as a self-defense uh, mechanism, I went from feeling very sad to then being angry because I felt like I was being attacked. And, and I thought the only thing I could think of saying was, you know, you don't have to worry about me because when I'm 18, I'll move out and you'll never have to worry about seeing your gay son again or what your neighbors are going to say or what your family is going to say. And her being the uh, the fiery you know Cuban woman that that she is at that time she's come a long way today but at that time she said well you don't have to wait you can move out right now and I thought fine I'm moving out and I'm thinking I don't know where I'm gonna go but I uh, I went on AOL Instant Messenger at the time you all remember AOL yeah, yeah. I think we <laughs> might be around the same age cohort <laughs> and so I was talking to a, a friend of mine from cheerleading because I was doing cheerleading, uh, competitive cheerleading, which was really a great way for me to meet other people in spaces that felt more inclusive and, and inviting. Um, and she said, well, you know, come live here with me and my mom. And she was living in Naples, Florida. And so I said, are you sure? You better go ask your mom, make sure it's all right. And so uh, I, I ended up getting picked up by a friend of mine the next day who was living there for the summer. And I went over to Naples, went to Naples, got a chance to, uh, start a new life in essence. I was couch homeless for a bit, kind of surfing. Mm-hmm. I stayed with her and her mom for a little bit, and then I stayed with some of the coaches. And then a family who of a of a young woman that uh, a girl that I was coaching cheerleading with, who heard of my story, ended up uh, asking if they could adopt me, if they could take me in and and become yeah. a part of their family. And so uh, at, up to that point, I wasn't quite sure what adoption met because I, I remember asking, well, what do you mean? Do you want me to come over for dinner sometimes? And they're like, no, we want you to, to be a part of our family. And I thought in my mind, well, I'm not an orphan. I thought adoption was for orphans. But mm-hmm. um, in that moment, I realized that they wanted to become my family. And so they took me in. Uh, they put their two kids in one bedroom so that they could share a bedroom. Uh, they were eight and 10 at the time. It was, uh, they had a, uh, I have uh, now a younger brother and a younger sister through their, through that family. And then I got my own bedroom. They got me back into, wow. into high school and, uh, they provided me the love and support that I needed at that point in my life to be able to, 
finished high school and then you know they they really took me in uh they got me my first car as soon as i was able to drive to help me get my license um they helped me become an, an, a U.S. citizen because I came to this country as a resident, but I was not a mm. citizen yet. And and then they provided me the the, the platform to for me to start taking my life and making what I wanted out of it. So I got a chance to go on to community college. I started a gay, straight, lesbian alliance there. I became involved with student government, and I got elected as student, gov- student government president as an openly gay candidate. And all of these experiences uh, really helped to give me a sense of empowerment. Like I was able to take my life and make something of it, regardless of the messaging that I was hearing. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I had a chance to go go on to Tallahassee, uh, which is the capital of Florida. And I finished my bachelor's degree there in political science. And through all that entire time, I was called to activism. I just, I felt this calling inside of me I realized that the only way for me to feel safe is to make sure that the people around me were also safe, mm-hmm. but that I, I wouldn't be, I, I had to, I had to fight for, for that level of, of safety. I, I learned enough to realize that it wasn't just going to be handed to me. And I, one of my favorite courses in, in, um, in elementary or middle school, rather it was civics, American civics. I think it's a great course because it teaches you about what it means to be a citizen in a democracy and as imperfect as the history of uh, America might be uh, the concepts of civics and helping you understand what it means to be a citizen and an open and free democracy I remember learning of things like majority rules with minority rights and I thought mm-hmm. oh so even though I might be in the minority and the majority might be ruling I should still have rights you know, things like separation of church and state. So even though the church doctrines might say, you're going to hell, um, we can have a separation between those doctrines and what the state says. And the states should protect civil liberties um, for all of its citizens, including minorities, whether they're uh, minorities of religion or minorities of sexual orientation, whatever the case may be. And so I, I went to Tallahassee. I studied political science, international affairs. I was uh, I was hoping at the time to be able to strengthen our communities and the ways in which people like me and other people who feel oppressed uh, have access to equality. Yeah. And so, and um, in short, I in, in that entire time frame, I was organizing. I was doing community organizing, helping to get more students throughout the state of Florida whether it was to Washington, D.C., where I am right now, um, to the National March uh, for Equality, which was hosted in 2009. We organized those really big charter buses, picking up students along the way in Florida, uh, or taking students to Texas, where they were hosting the 22nd Annual Creating Change Conference hosted by the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force. And so I was, I, I was just called to do this kind of organizing work uh, to help empower other people around me to be able to to fight for equal rights uh, and for human rights. Uh, along the way, I got involved with movement to do with reproductive justice, reproductive freedom. Uh, and and again, I just I knew that it wasn't about me, but I had to make sure other people also had access to yeah. to equality. And then when I finished uh, Florida State, I got hired at the homeless coalition. And I'd always said, I want to be the person that I needed help from when I was a kid. And so here I was, and I had the chance to 
to help people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and uh, I got to do that for about two years. And then I, I kind of went all over the place. I, uh, I was working in the hospitality sector for a while, hosting large scale events. And then I went into municipal government. Uh, they let me make up my own title. So I became the citizen engagement ambassador for the city of Tallahassee. Uh, that's what they get for giving me creative freedom. And, and that was an opportunity to, um, to connect citizens with their local government. Local government is oftentimes the government closest to you. Uh, and, and then I got hired to work with a medical marijuana company for a while in the state of Florida. And, and then I worked in finance. And I remember for the, for the year and a half before the pandemic happened here, this was 2019 uh, and right into 2020, I kept thinking, I'm making fantastic money and it's the most money I've ever made and I love this, uh, but I feel like there's a missing. I feel like I, I should be working every moment to defeat Donald Trump. At the time, I've you know, and still today, I felt like Donald Trump's politics and, and, um, and brand represented a clear and represents today a clear and present danger to open society to, to democracy uh and to the things that i felt like i've been fighting my whole life for human rights and civil liberties yeah. and so uh, i i got furloughed from that job and as i was looking to start a nonprofit to help lgbtq homeless youth because in miami in miami dade although it's it's a large metropolitan area there actually isn't a dedicated uh, center for LGBTQ homeless youth. There's some patchwork uh, services, but I think you have to go all the way into Broward to find something where you, you can get right. more. Um, and I, at that point, I got hired by an organization who I was connecting with. Uh, they do, they've been around for 28 years, and their focus is LGBTQ advocacy, electing leaders who care about equality regardless of their party. It's, it's nonpartisan work. Um, and Jeremy, you and I met under the auspices of, of my role at the time when we were going to yoga. Um, and so I did that for about two years, helping to empower and mobilize citizens, connect with pro-equality voters and help them make a plan. So they knew that there's elections coming up hmm. when, where, and who based on the candidates that we have found to be pro-equality. And I ended up doing very like, foundational grassroots electoral uh, mobilizing work, which is not easy uh, to get people to want to knock on a stranger's door and, uh, and mm -hmm. push beyond that anxiety. But, but it is the kind of work that's available to us to connect face-to-face -face and, and uh, heart-to-heart with our neighbors on so many pressing issues. And so now I'm, I'm in Washington, D.C., finishing up my master's in policy management here at Georgetown at the McCourt School of Public Policy. And in just about, uh, I think, five weeks, I'll be done there. And I'm, I'm seeing where my journey will take me. And my, my mantra is that I hope to continue to be a vessel for more good and for more love in our world uh, and hopefully be able to make some good money too. So it's a little balance. So we'll, we'll see how, how life pans out. What a story. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's a Thank lot. You. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing openly about your your life story for a start because it takes courage to to go that deep and to, to to say all that i think um thank you something it's been, that, it's been a journey yeah i can imagine and um i i can 
imagine, like, especially in a Latin household, like the, the, the Latin culture is very macho in, 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 in this way. Um, like you mentioned at the beginning, you're a man, you don't cry, you don't express your emotions and you, you punch a wall if you're not happy and all those stuff. And, right. and you know, when you, when you, you realize around six years old that you, well, you said you might be different, but you couldn't put a word on it because it's, it's really interesting. Cause I was thinking actually it's true. Like when you are school or in early education, yeah, it's really hard. I think to pinpoint exactly what is feeling is because we don't have the tools and we don't have the knowledge at school at this time to know what it means that you're feeling at this moment. And that, that must be very confusing, right? Especially as a child, not understanding what's going on in your own body and mind and sensing the difference, but not knowing why, uh, right. that must be very confusing and, and growing up, right? Yeah. When you're building your personality. Yeah. Very, very much so. And I'd be interested to hear maybe the parallels in both of your own journeys. Um, cause I think regardless of whether it's around sexual orientation, um, there's, there's so much that education, um, it, it plays such a huge role, especially at that, at those early ages, cause we're, we're like sponges. We're soaking it all in. And so, you know, to, to your point, Jeremy, it's, it's education is critical to how we help our young people identify themselves within this world that they're in and, I think oftentimes what we get is really a, a disservice, I think, not only to those young people, but a disservice to the generations that are to come and a disservice to the, the people that have, that have lived because we're not teaching our youth in a way that's scientifically based, that, that's based on accurate you know, history, it tends to be more of kind of like what, what the governing body there wants to teach you. Yeah. And if you look at Florida today, um, unfortunately, you have a lot of quote unquote conservatives, a lot of um, uh, anti-LGBT, anti-equality folks who are actually pushing and rolling back the way that we educate our youth. And so now you know, you've got things like the don't say gay bill, yeah. uh, so-called don't say gay bill, uh, which uh, in essence makes it easy for people to sue educators who bring up the topic of LGBTQ folks in school. And just to give you an example, you know, they, they, they make this issue and they try to scare ignorant parents um, because I think if you're educated and, and you're well-rounded, you're less likely to fall prey to these fear mongering tactics. Yeah. And so, you know, they take this concept of, uh, of teaching LGBTQ uh, kids that isn't happening because I can tell you, I went through school and I learned very little to nothing about yeah. LGBTQ people. And uh, in fact, you don't learn anything even about consent for, for heterosexual uh, youth. You don't learn about, consent you don't learn about asking uh or or properly you know dating people you don't even learn about balancing your checkbook you barely I mean, education standards are very low yeah. but they use this topic to try and galvanize 
their base ahead of a of an election that's mm-hmm. happening in November because they get to scare people. Ooh, you know, your kids are going to be turned gay because they're learning about LGBTQ people. Yeah. And, you know, first and third grade, I'm like, where is this happening? Like, there's no one teaching anyone about sexuality or, you know, sexual orientation. Um, but then they're able to galvanize ignorant folks and they use these fear tactics ahead of elections. And so it's just an example of how the education system tends to be um, held hostage by by people in power who don't have the best interest because if your interest is around the child then what you know what we know is that when you educate youth properly they're able to learn and they can they i mean we make our own choices we make our own choices i remember um i remember being in in high school and there was this physical education and sexual education is coupled here um, in terms of the course, but the, the professor who was educating us, I guess this was the portion to talk about reproduction. And she said, well, I don't even understand those people. I mean, talking about the LGBT community, uh, I mean, I don't even get it. It's like, if, if you have, um, you know, this, this doesn't really work. And, and this doesn't really work either as she's, you know, gesturing with her fingers to, you know, in essence, yeah. showcase what it's like for two men and two women. And she's like, the only thing that works is, is this. So I'm sitting here and she's, she's like saying, if I ever saw one of those people talking to my kids, I would punch them in the face. So mind you, I don't think we have to worry about schools properly no. teaching about the diversity of human sexuality and sexual orientation. What we have to worry about, unfortunately, is the failings of our school systems and our education systems in teaching that we're all different uh, and it's okay. Uh, and understanding that diversity of our human experience is what matters most, you know, and, and getting to respect each other. Uh, but to your point, and, education is key. Yeah. And I mean, the experience that you had, I think is very similar. It's not just an American thing. Like it's very similar to, I think the education I received in France. Um, oh, same. I, 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 I mean, we barely talked about it. I think the the only time I remember, I can remember any mention of uh, homosexuality was to talk about HIV and about putting condoms, you know, stuff like that. Like literally probably the only mention that I, I can remember at school. Um, right. But yeah, you right. learn about reproduction. You have a man, you have a woman. Here you are, make a baby. That's it. You, that's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, isn't isn't that isn't that absolutely wild? That's all. Yeah. Like e- even even at best. Uh, and and to your point, you're not taught about sexual health. You're not taught you're not taught taught about uh, STDs. You're not taught or taught about any of those things. No. So, uh, Rosie, so what yeah, was I... it you were saying? Rosie, you were saying it was similar for you in school. There wasn't yeah, a lot I was of just education. Thinking even you said about you know, learning about consent. Well, we didn't learn about consent. And also even things like women having orgasms. It was always just about like a man ejaculates and then you get pregnant and you have a baby. There was nothing about like consent or pleasure enjoying (laughs) sex, let alone just being like, here's how to have a baby. And I don't think I learned anything about homosexuality or like, you know, LGBTQ, but anything apart from just... My parents being like, some people are gay and that's fine. And some people aren't and that's fine. Like I was quite lucky with the parents that I had were quite open. Um, But I never had any kind of like education that 
I don't know, nothing. It was just kind of like, this is how to have a baby. End of discussion. Girls have periods. End of discussion. Like, that's right. That's exactly right. And there's so much lacking. So much lacking. And then what you get is generational trauma that's reinforced. So you have Mm. so many kids being just, you know, at the surface level told, this is how you make a baby. But they're not, we're not taught how to actually raise a child to become a well-functioning adult, you know? Uh, So we tend to reinforce these generation traumas and wounds. You just get a bunch of kids, raising kids who, you know, we're, I guess at the end of the day, we're doing the best that we know how to do. But just because we might be doing the best that we know how to do, it doesn't mean that uh, the broader society and, and the governmental structures that we have in place and the education system is doing the best that they know how to do. Too often it becomes too politicized and it's not about actually teaching and helping society learn and advance itself. It's just about keeping us somewhat, uh, you know, dumbed down well enough to yeah. like work and, and be factory, you know, work at factories, but not ask enough questions or be okay. We just yeah. kept fighting with each other about dumb things. Yeah. yeah. And, and also, you know, to mention about, because if you really care about the kids, you would do everything in your power to create a safe space for them to mm. feel okay with whatever they're feeling at the moment. And and if all your and you know like as kid and I think even as adult we relate to what we see and to what we hear and we try to find models or a group of people where we can belong. And right. if if for I mean, we spend years at school, you know, like more than a decade in school. If for a decade, right. let's say, we never hear about anything about uh, homosexuality, about, and that's true for everything else, for, 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 for plenty of topics, actually, but we don't hear anything about it. We're going to think it's not normal because we don't hear about it. We don't see it. So we're going to, I'm sure you feel disconnected to what you're feeling and confused and and this is not a safe space this is not what school should be uh and and in a way yeah it's creating trauma like you said complex trauma because it's over years and years and years of feeling i'm different i'm weird and society is not for me because i haven't seen in 10 years at school anything that is me and and that must be traumatizing in a way Totally. Absolutely. I mean, you, you grow up feeling isolated. You grow up mm. feeling isolated yeah. and like you're the only one that's like you and like there's something wrong with you. And and that creates this, this space where now you have one more person that's going to have to do a lot of work as soon as they're able to, to unpack mm. a lot of the misinformation uh, that they have been fed. And so it's, I think it, in 2022, all of us around the world, we have, we have a, a responsibility to ensure that as we have grown to be adults now, that we can reach back and help our systems better educate and prepare our youth. Um, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that a lot of the work that we'll be taking on here in the next few years will continue to build on that effort to, to help make schools a safe place for, for young people to learn about the history of the world. So we're not doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. And so that we can create a world that's more sustainable. 
Yeah. Uh, not only emotionally, but but also in the way that we consume resources. We know that we can't continue to deplete the earth in the way that we do and to pollute it uh, just for the sakes of some, you know, monetary gain. That that's not mm. that's not. Um, it doesn't help sustainability for for generations to come. Do you remember to to carry on on this topic, but on a personal level? Do you remember the first time that you met someone that? maybe you thought or you knew was gay and you saw like, Oh, I'm not alone. It's not just me. Do you remember? Huh? So I remember, I remember the first couple of times where I had seen around me people that were being made fun of for being mm -hmm. like, I perceived myself to be. Mm. And so early on, I think those are some of the earlier memories. Oh, that, that person's being called, you know, uh, a bad name. And it seems to be because they, they like the same sex. Yeah. And so that was like the earlier memories were that kind of identification. Oh, well, they're being bullied or they're being mm -hmm. verbally attacked or even physically attacked because, you know, it's, it's a male who likes other, other males, other guys. And so the thinking was, well, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a male and I like other males. So that person must be somewhat like me. Um, and so there's something bad here. There's something wrong. Mm. But I remember one of the first times that I met someone, uh, it was in high school. Well, well, the, the first time that I, I, which is different because the first time I, I had this crush, I was in seventh grade and he was in sixth grade. And I remember I just felt completely madly in love at that. It's like totally puppy crush at that age, right? It doesn't even <laughs> <Yeah>. qualify as, <laughs> but middle school love. Um, and so that was the first time that I ever really just thought, oh my gosh, I don't care if, if whatever I am is wrong, I feel great. And mm -hmm. I love, like, I just really want to be with this person. But in high school, I would say maybe like three years later, meeting a, fr uh, a friend who then at that point, he was about a couple of years older and had been going to these group meetings to meet other people that are queer. And so uh, that was one of the first times where I met someone that, was comfortable within their own skin and their sexual orientation. And it felt very liberating. Like you get like, there's like this sigh of relief um, that, Oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not alone. And even though I'm not alone, it looks like it's okay. Like people can survive and, you know, they're, they end up uh, finding friends and a community. And so, that's probably one of the very first times and it uh it really is very liberating because you don't feel so isolated and i i don't know if you all have done any uh work or know some of some of Brene brown's work and mm -hmm. a lot of the the stuff that i i just love how she puts it is that uh we're biologically hardwired for connection and from an early age yeah. when there's absence of that sense of connection. It's just, it, it, you feel subhuman. It's, it's tied to your humanity for you to feel like you belong, like you're connected, like, like there's people around you that you're not alone. We're not meant to do this life alone. And so yeah. 
I think early on getting these messages helped me to feel like I wasn't alone and like there, there is a community and like somehow I fit in into this world, into this life. And so I think that that's part of the work that I continue to take on with me and what's pushed me to be an activist for human rights and for civil liberties and for LGBTQ justice is that that feeling and me remembering what it's what it was like all those years of feeling so alone and i know that there's very many people were were somewhat lucky here in some parts of the us or maybe in 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 countries like the uk and and in france where there are more progressive movements and there's been a push for for equality um, but even within our own countries there's a lot of homophobia that's still present and a, a lot of fear and and I think about all the other countries that haven't had the journeys to to bringing about more equality and how difficult it is for those communities. Yeah, that made me think about you know the soccer World Cup at the end of the year in Qatar and the mm-hmm. government of Qatar, whatever the right name is, saying you're not going to be able to have uh, pride rainbow flags in a stadium for your own safety because we don't want you to be attacked by people right right like, <laughs> i mean yeah yeah, yeah. and it's it's absolutely crazy to me I, I i would i look forward to seeing the world where we teach not only children because by teaching children teaching youth um you still have to wait about 10 to 15 20 years to see the yeah. impact of that education mm-hmm. but i would i would i look forward to seeing a world where we start to teach everyone that you know, people are people and we're different and just be a good person as long yeah. as long as you're a good person and you're not causing harm in the world, you're you're you know, live your life to the fullest. Help help to bring more joy into the world. And so yeah, it's it's always uh I mean e- even here now you, you just saw uh I think about a couple weeks ago, uh it was a celebration of pride, I wanna say I think it's in Ohio. Oh, yeah. I'm not mistaken. And you saw a group of like 30 something grown white nationalist uh, neo-Nazis uh, that were packed in a U-Haul truck on their way to a pride parade. Mm-hmm. And they haven't they haven't found weapons yet. But you're seeing you're seeing here that racism still exists. Homophobia still exists. Sexism still exists. All of these isms that have brought so much sadness and heartbreak into the world are very much real and they're alive and they're unnecessary because all we have to do is teach people love instead of teaching them hatred and fear and bigotry. Mm-hmm. And so that that's the difference. We are taught to hate. We, we're not born hateful. Yeah. We are taught to hate people. Um, and so... Yeah, there's a lot of work to to be done in our in our communities, and so it's it's why it's so important that people like you, uh, Rosie and, and Jeremy, that uh, conversations like this are happening because they're not happening at kitchen tables at home, they're not happening at schools, um, and so all too often people go an entire lifetime without being able to hear conversations or have conversations about. We might be different, but there's so much more that we have in common in our humanity, which I think you started this uh, in that way, Jeremy, that we we all want the same things. We, we want to feel a sense of belonging and connectedness and safety and joy. We want to be able to, we want to have a family, be able to have a family and raise our, our kids 
in a way that brings them joy and us joy. We want to put our heads at night on the pillow and feel like we're safe. Um, and so it's not that complicated. Unfortunately, people, people that have a lot of power and money, not, not to be so conspiracy theory, but if you have a lot of power and money, you typically don't want to yield that in any way. You want to keep it, hold on to it or increase it. And it just so happens to be that historically, those folks in particular, not all, but but a lot, too many, use that power, money, and influence uh, at the expense of the broader population. Yeah. And typically, that involves keeping people dumbed down, yeah. not really knowing their rights, not knowing or anything about each other. Uh, and then the other element of it is keeping society fractured and fighting each other because you know, if it's, if people don't know their rights, it's easier to take them away and manipulate them. And if people, if you've got 300,000, 300 million people in the U.S., it's a lot easier to control them if they're all fighting and, and they're, they're factioned off into the gay group and this group and that group and that group, as opposed to realizing that we're all people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And to your point, it's what unites us that matters most. And so well, we're all here fighting, you know, about things that we should already know but haven't been taught we're too busy to taught to stop take a take a, a, a breath and look mm -hmm. up and see where where yeah. what's happening and what's being done and before we realize it we're in our 50s and 60s yeah. and 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 we're we're just about ready to you know to meet our makers so to speak uh and so I think I think there's a there's a new way forward and that it, it continues to be centered on education that's factual that's based on the hardship and the heartbreak that we've experienced even though it's hard to teach people about mm. the inhumanity of chattel slavery in america we have to teach people about what chattel slavery was like and and how the you know the countless of lives the, the millions of lives that were slaughtered just because they were black um, and they were enslaved and and we have to realize that that system that we live in here in the U.S. was based on white supremacy. And that just because we may have had the Emancipation Proclamation, it doesn't mean that that system was changed to then accommodate everybody. Oh, yeah, really. In fact, today, happy Juneteenth. Today, uh, it's a federal holiday here. Uh, yesterday, it was Juneteenth, and we celebrate, we celebrate, uh, excuse me, today is Juneteenth, and we celebrate the day it took over two years for enslaved uh, people in southern states in Texas to learn that the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed because southern uh, uh, slave owners were hiding it from the fa for, from from all the people they had enslaved. And so today, I think it's it's definitely a reminder of what it means to be free and to live freely. Yeah, and and it's. Like this is something I've never thought about honestly before like the last two or three years about how privileged and lucky I am personally as a you know as a white straight man from a western country European country and like all that that comes with a whole lot of truck full of privilege and I've never realized that before honestly until moving around and also hearing stories and stuff like that and uh, and yeah realizing that you know, makes you a bit more humble and a bit more like I should think twice before complaining about a few stuff and, you know, just, uh, yeah.
Yeah, no, I get that. And I, look, I think it's beautiful that thus far your journey is able to uh, help you acknowledge your privilege and, and that you're able to, to verbalize. Uh, yeah. Even, even, I mean, we all have our privileges and I think it's about, I mean, most of us, there's a lot of people that are really, you know, may not have as, as much privilege as others. And it's, it's not about rank ordering, uh, hurt and pain and suffering. Uh, but it is about, and that's something that I'm learning too, is about being able to own our privilege in a particular space and just be aware of that. Because I think yeah. that in itself makes us much more compassionate to the journey that other people are facing. So, and I think to, to your point, Jeremy, there seems to be a missing in a lot of societies and a lot of communities where we, one, acknowledge the pain that we have faced historically and even within our own lifetimes and those traumas in order to be able to heal those wounds. And then and then to be able to, to have conversations from that space where we first acknowledge, well, look, I want to acknowledge that I, you know, my privilege here, I'm a white, white passing uh, Latino man. If, if my skin, t- uh, my skin tone was darker, my experience would be very different. Yeah. And so I, I have th- that particular privilege. I may be, you know, gay man and I've, I've faced homophobia and I still face, and I face xenophobia as an immigrant to this country. Um, and so I think when we all acknowledge our privilege, it also creates a space for those that are around us to know that for us, we're showing up in that space that, look, I, I know I, I've had things that you may not have had and you've had your own journey. And I think that's what we're missing in a lot of ways, the conversation, the acknowledgement, and then the action that it takes to make those wrongs right. Because somehow it makes us weak, apparently, if, if we acknowledge that we've been wrong. I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful that with more people like you two, we can get to a better space. <laughs> Thank you. Rosie, what were you, what came to mind for you? I, I think I may have interrupted. No, I've had a question since the beginning and I don't know if I'm okay to ask, but um, you're always okay to ask. Okay. It's kind of been in my mind the whole time you've been talking. I'm like, I want to ask this question. What's your relationship yeah. now with your parents? Because obviously with, you had that conversation with your dad and he seemed okay with, you being gay mm-hmm. and then you yeah. had a conversation with your mom and then you ended up leaving home yeah. and got adopted from a different family what's the dynamics like now with your birth parents well right now i would say i'm happy to report that everything is is good mm-hmm. it's taken a lot of healing to get to that space um when i first left naples or hialeah miami in, in florida here and I went over to Naples, um, I didn't want to talk to them. I was very angry. Frankly, I don't know that they wanted to talk to me. Maybe. I think my mother quickly realized uh, that, you know, she had done something that was not good. Uh, I know that she tried to reach out in several occasions, and I just wasn't really interested uh, in connecting with her. And... um, there were a lot of lonely nights. There were a lot of moments where I just, I just thought I was crying, thinking, where am I? What am I, what am I doing? Where am I going? Um, and, and again, I'm not very religious, but there was this sense inside of me that I was being guided. And I do not believe that that's unique to me. I think all of us have that, whether we realize it or not, there's that sense of connectedness and guidance. Um, 
And, and so along the way, I connected to my mother. She can, uh, I had to connect with her because my adoptive parents wanted to put me back into high school. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of legality, we had to get some, some forms signed. Mm-hmm. And I remember she didn't want to sign the, the power of attorney letter. Cause, and this was maybe like nine months after I had left. And she said, well, you know, uh, you're my son and I'm not just going to, you know, sign you over, which I thought that was interesting in light of everything that had just happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably the first opening and window into seeing her, like her mom's side come out as opposed to like that, like, I don't know what you would even call it. Um, because up to that point, she was very much a, a mama bear, as you would say, you know, very protective and making sure that I was, you know, trying, she was doing her best to, to raise me considering she was a single mom and an immigrant and didn't have a lot of yeah. resources to give. Um, but I remember telling her, well, look, you didn't want me. And, you know, these, these people love me for who I am. And so I need you to do what's right and what's going to help me live a good life. And mm-hmm. so um, from that point till really today, uh, it's been a journey of healing. I realized about four years ago, I went to this seminar course to to help it's a self-development uh program and part of that was reflecting on missed relationships or like where you're choosing to be right and where you're withholding love because sometimes you you don't get to have both (laughs) if you're if you're wanting to be right and to you know you you, and so i remember that it, it hit me that all this time i was so so caught up on being right that Mm. you know she had done harm to me and that i was the person that she heard and she was wrong and i was so caught up in making her wrong that i had also been withholding love for her Mm. um and i realized that i didn't want to be another person who was another man in particular who was mistreating her or abusing her mm. you know i'd seen her girl be with you know her her second husband who was who was abusing her and i, and I thought i don't want to be another person in my mother's life who brings her hurt um, by withholding love and affection and i just i would remember like even when she like would go to hug me i was like it was like these like half-hearted hugs in my my mind and i was withholding love as a way to punish her um and and she's come a long way. I got to tell you that about uh, maybe eight years ago, she she apologized. She uh, I told her that I'd come out to my grandmother in Cuba, who's still there, mm-hmm. and and I told her that my grandmother said that she loved me and that you know wow. she loved me just as I was and that you know, that just the way that God had made me and. And so I, I told that to my mom and that I think that was an opening for her to be able to say that my grandmother was right, that, you know, I am perfect the way that God had made me and that um, I'm a great human being and all these things. And, and so as far as my mother goes, uh, that, that's, that's the update. I mean, today I've all, I also learned that at some point in her life in the past 15 years, she had housed um, at least one or two uh, gay men 
who were home, who were without family and, and were homeless. Wow. Um, one of them is a younger, younger guy from Cuba, I think in his like late teens. Uh, and she, she, um, gave him a roof uh, for several months or until he was able to kind of get his, his bearings. And so it was interesting. It's interesting to see her journey of education. Yeah. And part of, of my journey is realizing that parents are people and people do the best job that they know how to do with the resources that we have and with the education that we have, whether it's scholastic education and you're being taught or whether it's a school of hard knocks and, and it takes whatever she experienced on her end to get to the point where she realized that her love for her son and then maybe her love for herself as a human being and wanting to be a good person meant that she could then love people more authentically. And with my, with my birth father, um, it really hasn't been too much of like a, a struggle. When I left, I left. And I didn't talk to him much. Eventually, we reconnected. He ended up moving to Naples and ended up working for my adoptive family for their business. <laughs> and so, I, yeah, it's crazy how life, um, interesting <laughs> enough, it was a closet company. We had a custom closet company. I've always thought how ironic that <laughs> my father ended up you know, working for my family's closet company when we didn't talk for years when I came out of the closet. Uh, but... Uh, I do remember this one time about a couple of years after he was living in Naples and working with my adoptive family, we all went out boating and he made a comment about, you know, just me coming over to his house and just being okay, but not bringing anybody that I was dating. Cause you know, mm. apparently, <laughs> yes, exactly. And I thought, well, that's really rude uh, for one. And you know, that's the equivalent of me telling you you're welcome to come here, but don't bring your wife. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, I and I, I brought him present to the fact that I had started a new life here that he has been welcomed into and that yeah. all the people that were in my life at that point loved me and accepted me for all the parts of who I am, including my sexuality. And that if he wasn't one of those people, he was very welcome to leave and independent of that that when he was in his 80s or 90s, however, you know, in his deathbed, would all of those people that he cared so much about their opinions still be around? Because I won't be if this is the mindset that he has. I wouldn't continue. So uh, I, I'm lucky where today, those, I like to think of that Dr. Seuss quote, those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, along the way I've, I've, I've been able to get the courage to keep people in my life who, uh, who want to be a part of my life and understand, um, even though I may have some bad jokes here and there, or maybe, you know, whatever personality flaws we all may have <laughs> that I'm a good person and that they, yeah. um, yeah, it reminds me. And I think courage, courage is, is, uh, there, there's a few people, uh, Maya Angelou being one that comes to mind, when you talk about virtue and the concept of virtue and how virtue, she said, might be the most, impo the most important out of all of them to be consistent at. She said that they're all, they're, they're all good, but if you have to be, pick one to, to practice more consistently, it would be courage mm -hmm. because it allows you to practice all of the other virtues, even when it's hard. And um, yeah. 
And I absolutely love that. I, I if you allow me to share, one of the most I think uh, empowering moments is a conversation between Maya Angelou and Oprah. And I'll have to send you this YouTube uh, recording. But in there, Maya was being asked about this concept of of courage and how sometimes, like let's say somebody makes a, a homo like a, a racist joke. I think for for many of us, at least for me, when I was very uh, when I was younger, if it was a joke that was insensitive or racist, I might nervously laugh mm. because I you know I may not know better. I mean, today I wouldn't. Uh, but but Oprah tells this story of where they were at a party at at um, my Angela's house, and all of a sudden the whole party went quiet, and everybody is looking at her, and she tells this one person, "Excuse me, is this your purse? And who brought you here?" Okay, the two of you leave my house. And afterwards, everybody was kind of in shock that Maya Angelou, uh, poet, philosopher, you know, is like this is having this moment. And then Maya turns around and, and tells the entire house, I will not have it. I will not have it in my house. Um, words are powerful. And words like those, like that are poison. And, and, and Oprah said it was because that, couple, that person had made a homophobic joke in her home. And so it, it's a it's a story that helps to bring a bunch of concepts for me. One is the power of words and how we use those words, and two, what it takes, the courage that it takes to show up in our world, uh, to, to bring to to help other people also feel like they belong, and not allow toxicity and poison into into our lives and into our world. No matter who it is, family doesn't get a free pass. Well, it's that interesting kind of, you say that. That kind of reminds me of the Black Lives Matter thing and about being anti-racist and like if somebody makes a black joke, not just standing there and letting it happen, actually saying, well, no, that's not okay. And it's something yeah. that we've kind of been learning these past couple of years, but it's, but it's so hard with family. Yeah. Like it's like, it's, I don't know if you want to talk. <laughs> it's tough to be like, you can't say that. Yeah, because, I mean, to go back to what I was saying at the beginning, like, my family, especially like my dad, I mean, he's still what he was when he mm. when I was a child. And he still makes those stupid comments about uh, people of color, about people with different religion, and about people from the LGBT community, uh, clearly. And mm-hmm. any stuff's like... I think as yeah. Muslim, do I do I like... just let it go or do I say something? Do I try to explain to him, knowing that he's so stubborn that he's just not gonna even try to listen to me anyway because he doesn't want to change because he's just a wall and 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 he's just not gonna get there at all because he doesn't want to see the other possibilities of it. So do I waste my energy for that? Do I just? Is it worth an argument? As Is well? it worth like, an argument and falling out with my parents? You know, like it's those conversations are really not easy, also. And yeah. and it's also for the daughter-in-law. Like yeah. it's hard <laughs> enough when it's your parents, but when it's your partner's parents, to be like, like, do I want to have an argument with them about it? Like, yeah. Oh, it's. it's I still to yeah, this day don't know what to do with it. You know, to your point, it's challenging. It's challenging, and I think. I think that, uh, again, I'm reminded of, of, of a message that, that Oprah said, is that uh, family doesn't get a free pass. And, and although we can choose our battles, 
we can also choose how we show up in certain spaces. And so I think it's perfectly acceptable, acceptable that if it's not a funny joke, I don't have to force myself to laugh. Mm-hmm. If, it's a, if it's at the expense of somebody's immutable characteristics, because, you know, sometimes it might be that I, I, I have an acquaintance or I have a friend who might make a joke at the expense of somebody's body weight, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at that moment, what if I, I think of like, what if it were me? You know, what, what if it was something about me that I couldn't necessarily change or if it's just a quality about me that is just a part of who I am and I can't help it. Or, you know, like sometimes people have a genetic predisposition and they Mm -hmm. just, they're very different body than other people. And so I don't have to laugh at the joke that my, that my friend or my family member uh, has had to make. And then I can choose to tune out. I can choose to disengage or maybe walk away um, Mm -hmm. or stand up. And if they ask me, hey, where's your sense of humor? Then they're inviting my perspective. Yeah. And so yeah. I, that might take the opportunity to say, well, you know, frankly, I get that you might just want to bring some levity into the space. I just, I don't find those kind of jokes funny. I don't think making jokes at the expense of somebody's weight or their skin color um, is funny. And and I get that we come from different generations and, and um I think part of what the way that I'm living my life, the way that you have even taught me, if that's if there's a case to ground them into into what their deeper values is, is that um, that we should be good to each other. We should be good Mm -hmm. to people and encourage more more kindness in the world. And, you know, I I love a good joke uh, as nice as the other person, as long as it doesn't have to be at the expense of of somebody based on something that they can't they can't really control and so you know to to your point we have to choose and pick our pick our battles but family really doesn't get a free pass and then i also spend less time with family members that i find to be uh you know more more negative around their wording and their thinking and i and i i've made it present uh to a lot of family members and so i have noticed that they do not make jokes about people's skin color or sexual orientation or their body weight around me, which I'm fine with. You know, if, if, if your way of being quote unquote funny is to put down other people, you're not as funny as you think you are. And, and maybe, maybe that's, you know, that, that's the bigger, but you, you were, you were, you brought this up earlier, Jeremy, is that we become our parents' teachers and so it it might be that, it, and I don't. I also don't believe that it has to be like, oh, dad, you're such an idiot. You know what? Yeah, it's like I think <laughs> maybe maybe it just might be that it's the kind of love that you are uniquely able to provide to your father that maybe someone else would not be as loving and kind, or even take the time because they say, oh forget this person, you know, but you are uniquely qualified in your family's lives. You both are respectively to lovingly and kindly be able to bring them back to love as opposed to, um, as opposed to not. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's a very good question. I think that it's a very good, it's a unique journey for all of us to figure out, um, how to, how to teach our parents to, 
to be a little bit more loving and more kind and more compassionate where possible. I mean, they've done a lot for us, uh, for better or for worse, uh, through learning what not to do and learning what to do. Um, and so uh, part of being our parents, teachers, I think also involves expanding their mind. They're doing the best that they know how to do because yeah. they, were, they were taught. But then we get to, in a space of love for them, uh, help to teach them uh, and, and open actually, their minds and their eyes. Yeah. It's actually been really interesting because we spent the past five and a half months at my parents' house because of family things. And like my mum has said certain comments and I'm like, I'm going to have to challenge you on that. And I will kind of like explain to her why I don't necessarily agree with what she's saying. Mm. And it's interesting because I think her idea of gay people is kind of the gay guys on... Um, Sex in the City or on Grace and whatever that show was. Grace, Gra- oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Grace and Adam. No, not Grace Anatomy. No, uh, Grace and Will Frank- and Grace. No. Will and Will Grace. Grace. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that very, like, that oh my God, da, 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 yeah. like super, like, flamboyant gay character. Like, yeah. that's what she thinks gay people yeah. is. And then she kind of comes out with comments sometimes. And I'm like, gay people not all gay people are like that some people yeah fine but not every like there are gay people you wouldn't know they were gay because they're not super like uh, like and it's been actually really interesting to kind of pull her up on and be like actually I disagree with you on that and this is why (laughs) and it's been interesting for her as well I think she's kind of it's the first time I spent so much time at home and she was like it's so nice to see you as like an adult with all these opinions and because we've lived in different places and met different people she's like wow it's so interesting that you're like this well-rounded person and I'm like it's so interesting that you're not anymore (laughs) like you used to be and it's so weird how like you get into that like do you know I think there's been certain times where it's just been like what are you saying mom but then I will have that conversation with her but I don't do it with your family but just to go to your point also is because like you're saying uh when we watch if you don't travel, if you just stay at home in your bubble, right. same circle of people, you watch TV, right. the same things, you read the same book, you read the same newspaper. If you're taught what is an homosexual person with the TV, right. well, your opinion is not going to be that good, probably. No, it's always the it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's always Yeah. I mean, to, so, to both, to both of your, to both of your points. And I think it, again, it just keeps coming down to, to education. So when you look at, let's say, our parents, and of course, you know, Rosie, it, it, it'll be different for you. And I, I imagine your parents in, in Europe and the UK or. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, Jeremy, I think you said your background is uh, from France. Yeah. And so, you know, then I've got my parents who maybe grew up in or did grow up in Cuba. So the, the, the common thread is here. And, and to your point, you're growing up in these bubbles and then you're not being educated more holistically. You're not being educated more broadly, more globally. You're being given a lot of the biases and a lot of the, the fears that other people were given and those get passed down to us. And they're not really based on, on anything other than just ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think part of what I'm learning to do, because it's still a practice for me, is to be curious about them and their journey and ground myself in a sense of compassion. And, and, and I think that as opposed to having to be like combative and angry, how can I, how can I be a space for more love in this very moment and this conversation? So then I have to practice and it's tough. 
um, because I, when I have this conversation with some of my colleagues and friends who are black um, and who, who are descendants of slaves, there's this sense of exhaustion of always having to be the one to educate people. Yeah. And I get that. I absolutely get that. I just have, I've taken on a role of education early on because I realized that that was a big missing, but it's not, it is draining and it is exhausting for people to individually feel like they have to be the one to constantly educate everybody around them. So it speaks to us having to edu or reform education as a whole. But um, in that, in those spaces, I try to become very curious and just be like, Oh, what does that, you know, what does that mean for you? I'm just curious, like where, where that mindset uh, comes. And then sometimes, or like, or I get to like, what, what do you, what does that mean to you? Help them to define what that means to you to them oh it's because they're very flamboyant and and whatever okay and and what are like what do you think are some of the pros i'm just curious like what are the, some of the pros or the cons that you see in in like a a man who's gay being very flamboyant like what are some of the pros you know or like and, and then people people tend to walk themselves through it uh, and, and then maybe there's an opportunity to share some lived experiences in that conversation. So, you know, I have a friend who, you know, grew up in this space and he, you know, he is very flamboyant and he, he's happy. He enjoys his life. He's faced a lot of backlash and a lot of violence. And so you're bringing the abstract into like right mm -hmm. here. And then people tend to walk themselves through their own biases, uh, through their, through their own ignorance, because uh, that's really what it is. Um, and, and then you realize that some of these opinions and worldviews are shaped, to your point, on a limited worldview. And it's based on a system of male dominance, because mm -hmm. we've lived in patriarchies, we lived in, in societies that are ruled by landowning wealthy men, for the most part, and women, uh, for most of our history have been treated as property or as less than. And so when you look at the patriarchy and what's considered to be threatening to patriarchy and, and male dominance is what, what is flamboyancy or effeminate men, if not men who are taking on what's considered to be weaker traits of, of femininity or flamboyancy or who that, that maybe aren't like the rigid forms of masculinity that are taught you know, and so mm -hmm. when you consider that that can be seen as a threat to masculine power and masculinity, and then men who aren't as masculine are ostracized or attacked, and then the the society reinforces those messages, and so women are then taught, oh, if they're a mass or a feminine men, you know, there's there's something wrong with them, or mm -hmm. or and so you can see where like the policing comes in and is reinforced by various avenues even yeah. though even though supporting the patriarchy is enslaving to women women are taught to treat men who are flamboyant as less than mm. and then as a broader society we're all taught to find somebody that we can treat as less than to make ourselves feel better or more superior than somebody else because of their skin color, because how much money they make, to their education level, whatever, you name it. And that's part of how we're taught to engage with other people. Oh, I'm better than them. Or, um, you know, my life sucks, but at least it's not as bad as theirs. 
Yeah. You know, so we, we rank order shame and suffering and all of these things to somehow, but I, I, I don't believe that's necessary. And I, I know that I don't feel like you do. And a lot of us, I think more so than ever before are being awakened to yeah. these realizations. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, luckily, also like you mentioned a few times, so we, we we live in a different generation where we have access to so much resources for free online at the power of right. finger, uh, right. YouTube, just to name one of them, you know, for example, yeah. and and even if you don't have the privilege to be able to travel, to be able to meet different people outside of your bubble because of life circumstances, you can now in 2022 have access if you have the curiosity obviously for it to right. so many stories and so many people that are completely opposite to you who you can be and you can learn from them and 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 that can be the planting the seed to to yeah to change yeah. things so yeah to change the world that's exactly that's exactly right i um and it hasn't come easy a lot of people have had to die a lot of people yeah. have had to fight just to be able to live freely we're not talking about all we're talking about is being able to live a life where we feel free like we're not being subjugated to to slavery or being beaten and and slaughtered just because we're different and the difference isn't even like, you know, you're a Martian or you've got an extra you know, yeah. brain or anything like that. They're just like, you know, whether it's your skin tone or whether it's like you happen to be attracted to somebody of the same sex versus somebody of the opposite sex. Um, so I'm hopeful that we will continue the, uh, the, the road towards full equality, towards uh, human rights for everyone. And that as a, as a global community, that we'll find ways to educate people more and more and more so that we can live sustainably and stop fighting wars that are unnecessary. The problems that we live in today that we have created, they were created by us. They are not beyond us to fix and to resolve. And so we are just made to think that we don't have the ability and that, um, and oftentimes we just don't know how to, we don't know how to have the simple conversations even at, they're not happening at our dinner tables. They're not happening in schools. So where do people have conversations about these things if not, hmm. you know, in spaces like this? Oh, yeah. So something I've always remembered, I think, also at, at the beginning of our relationship with Rosie, uh, when she was uh, educating me and telling me off when I was making stupid comments, like we mentioned a bit before about other people. And... And it was like, why do you care anyway? It's like, you know, I don't know, if I make a comment about, I don't know, like, oh, this person... Was it the guy is... with the pink hair? No, <laughs> no, not even that. Like, just in general, it's yeah. like, why do you care if this person is, you know, love man or woman or or is enjoying this religion or this one? Like, why do you care anyway? You know, how is it affecting your life? And, yeah. you know, you don't even have to understand it, actually. Just accept it because it doesn't influence anything in your life so why do you care at all who what mm. this person is doing in her life you know and i remember yeah. that was like true <laughs> that's a good point yeah uh, and i mean why why do we care we're taught to we're taught to yeah. care about certain things we're taught to find these these differences and and like you know 
uh, subjugate or attack people based on some of these differences. It's why we care is because we're taught to focus on those things, I think, as opposed to realize, I mean, again, I don't care what religion one practices, which mind you, religion is not an immutable characteristics. You can choose your religion. Yeah. And so that, that just wanted to make that distinction. But to something like somebody's sexual orientation or their skin color or um, something to that effect that is not something you can change or you're born with, as far as we know, um, your religion you choose. And I don't care what religion you take on, as long as your religion doesn't tell you to slaughter and kill other people yeah. or to deny other people human rights and the right to live their lives, you can pray to whatever deity. So I think I think that's that's kind of like this underlying um, uh, I think foundation. To, it's like be who you are. Just be a good person. You know, mm-hmm. it, I don't care. I don't care who you choose to like. Who you? What religion you you practice, or or like who you are as a person? Just be good. Don't go around, you know, destroying things and and destroying lives and people. Just be good. <laughs> It's interesting because that's the message you've kind of been saying a few times is like, just be a good person, let people be happy. And it's such a simple concept that I don't understand why people can't just do it. Like, it's just like, why can't you just let people live their lives? And like, I don't care. Like, I literally does not bother me what color your hair is, who you choose to have sex with, what religion you are, if you have a beard or not if you like the color pink or green, like I just doesn't change my life in the slightest. And I wish people, other people, I guess, had more of that kind of mindset of like, I don't know, like all we want is just simple. It's a simple thing, isn't it? Like just to let people be happy. And I don't know why that can't just happen. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I agree with you. It feels so simple. And I just think it's been generations and generations of social policing in order to maintain a certain social order. Mm. And that gets reinforced. And so typically, you know, it's, it comes from prejudice and biases that are, are formed mainly from a space of fear, from a place of power and control Mm. and wanting to maintain a group of people uh, subjugated or, you know, uh, ascribing to a certain mindset. I mean, look at, look at, not to pick on religion too much, but look, uh, look at religion and 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 the concepts which came about from the creation of of religious practices. When you look at, you know, having as many kids as possible mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. we were an agrarian society, and so what both households and a church, which was an original form of government in those spaces needed, is they needed people. And so you get you had a bunch of kids because it's all free labor in your farms as you're growing your food and, and bringing them to market. And the church loved it because they got more followers and more people tithing and contributing to their to their uh, uh, to their coffers. And so, you know, there's a bunch of rules and things that come around as a result of that. And all of those rules and norms and social norms get reinforced and passed down and passed Mm -hmm. down. And unfortunately, all of those are espoused with, you know, don't do this. 
you know, don't, and like some of those things, you can see where like it makes sense because like maybe when they're saying don't eat shellfish, um, and I've got to look more on this, but maybe there's, you know, there's a lot of bacteria that at that time that came around that was making people sick. Uh, but then you have things like, you know, uh, it's, it's okay for a guy or male to have multiple wives and certain mm. teachings of religions, but women, if they were to have any kind of, uh, consensual sexual act outside of the marriage, they would have to be stoned to death, mm. right? Mm. So, I mean, we, we know that a lot of the origins of these social policing and like, uh, kind of caring what other people are doing and holding like, like subjugating them for it comes from earlier forms of, of government or religious practices that were meant to keep people enslaved, if not in body, then in mind, mm. because it benefited a bunch of people at the very top of the social order. Mm. Yeah. To enforce power somewhere. <laughs> to enforce power to enforce power. And so it, it would be interesting for me to see what it looks like for us. Um, and even in America today, I fear that we're, we're backsliding in, in some ways and it's by design. It's by design. You have a lot of people, a lot of scared people, white supremacists who see that they don't want to lose their power. Mm. And when you think about the way that this country was founded and the way that our system of government was founded, It was founded on the back, it was founded on slavery. It was founded on white supremacy. And that system hasn't changed overnight. And it hasn't changed in the 150 years plus since we abolished slavery. And I mean, there's been changes along the way, but those have been hard fought. And, and institutionally and systematically, the system by which America is founded on is a system of white supremacy. Mm. Yeah. And, and so I, I only say that because it's important to, to answer your question. The why is because we live within these systems mm. that were built to reinforce oppression and to reinforce concentrated power and wealth at the hands of certain groups of people, whether they're just land owning white men or whatever the case may be. But typically that's been it. And yeah. A lot of us have been dying and fighting and, and working to change that so that we can create a world where we're not slaughtering people based on whatever God they worship or putting people in shackles and chains based on the color of their skin, mm. but that we can educate our youth and our societies to understand what the condition of humanity is like, how varied it can be to provide support when there are legitimate physiological and biological conditions that do not allow people to live a full healthy life without that type of support and guidance. Um, but in, in, uh, in here in America today, we're, we're finding that you see a growing movement of right wing white nationalists, neo-Nazi extremists that are, And I feel like some of those are, you know, are, they all mean the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you have a non-extremist neo-Nazi, but, um, but, but to, to that point, you, you, you still have these threats to democracy, to, to open civil societies that exist out of fear. Um, and then people that are in power, 
they will use those people and that fear to continue and perpetuate these cycles of oppression. Mm. Yeah. On a more like personal question, um, when and what was the trigger uh, that made you really uh, passionate and and motivated you to be involved into I'm gonna try to help others and change people's mind what was like something that we convinced you you know when you were young about that gosh uh well that's a that's a good question I just I it seems that early on I realized and I learned that I was only as free as those around me who were also being marginalized and subjugated to to some type of indignity. And so I think um, it was Martin Luther King who said, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And And early on, I realized that for me to be safe, for me to feel like I am okay and I am safe, that I would have to look outside of me and find out where are other injustices happening mm. and how can I partner with those people to help eradicate the roots of those injustices because they're all, they're all pretty much, there's parallels that you can draw mm. yeah. amongst all of these different struggles that we're facing. And we've talked about it in, in various ways so far, but, um, I don't know if there was any one particular moment, but it was just a series of moments and learnings and life lessons that mm. helped me to realize that we're all connected. We all yearn for the very same things typically, like we discussed, and that if any of us, if any of us are enslaved or are being subjugated, uh, repressed, oppressed in some way, then it's just a matter of time before it hits me, yeah. before it comes home to me. Uh, I think it was, um, there was that, that saying, uh, that, that phrase, I believe it's, it's a quote of some sort that came out of the Holocaust. And so please excuse me for not knowing it exactly, but it was to the, to the extent of like, at first they came for the, for the unionist, um, oh, you know, but I didn't speak up because I wasn't in the union or like, then they came for the teachers, but I didn't speak up because I wasn't a teacher and so forth. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak up. Mm. Right. And so it, it's just kind of like that concept of, uh, we have to speak up for injustices, even though they may not necessarily be about us because injustice and oppression anywhere is injustice and oppression everywhere. And it's just a matter of time before that cancer grows and metastasizes to the point where we see it expand and reach our home, where it touches yeah. us. Um, and so I don't know that it was one particular moment, but it's been a series of moments along the way that teach that have taught me that it takes me to act just like it takes you and it takes all of us. It's not any one person. So we have to be careful when you hear people saying I alone can fix it because no one person can. And it takes as many and uh, uh, it takes all of us willing to, to fight for justice, for human rights, for love at the end of the day, for love to mm -hmm. be able uh, to win. Wow. 
<laughs> you're such a good speaker. <laughs> like you're so, I can you. tell you're like you're so well educated and eloquent, and you're so good at like putting your your point across and answering questions. And I don't know. I've just. Thank you, Rosie. I appreciate. It. I like to Amazing. think that it takes one to know one, and it's good conversation, so that that flows well. I uh, <laughs> I appreciate both of you being able to offer a space that invites conversation and dialogue around such very important issues, and um, and I think that's what we need more of in the past couple of days. And what's been coming up more and more is that we need more dialogue around mm. these topics. Uh, to bridge the education divide, to help people connect with each other. We're so disconnected. Yeah. yeah. And so thank you. Thank you and, uh, and Jeremy for being part of how we make the world a more loving and compassionate place through conversations and stories that help to heal. Uh, I yeah. think it's Well, thank you so much. For, yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. It's been so, like... I don't even have any words <laughs> like informative yeah, yeah. like inspirational to know that like you know you had a tough time with it but then you've you know you're doing the work and you're helping other people and that we can help other people it's not just about fighting your own battles you can help other people and I'm just <laughs> I'm lost for words I don't know what to say I've just I really enjoyed this conversation thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and to share thank your you. story and share your knowledge and I'm hoping this, Thank you. you know, educates other people and helps other people to learn something new and feel, yeah. I don't know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate it. I've got one last question before we close the episode. It's a question we ask uh, everyone at the end of the show. If yeah. you could have a conversation with anyone dead or alive, famous or not, it doesn't yes. matter. It could be yes. any person that ever existed and still exists. Who you think is like the most interesting person for you in your eyes? Who would you pick and why? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, let's see. If I could have a conversation with anyone in the world, uh, dead or alive, I would say that I would like to have a conversation. Um, and it, it's, it's challenging to think of one particular person right now. Um, but I would say I would have a conversation with Somebody that's in power, <clears throat> I'm thinking that, uh, interestingly enough, I, I would I would ordinarily say someone like Oprah, because I love the work that, that Oprah does in bringing more yeah. consciousness and opening minds and hearts around the world. But in today's uh, society, in today's world, I feel like I would want to talk to somebody like Donald Trump or like Vladimir Putin to figure yeah. out uh, firsthand, like, why they choose fear instead of love, why they choose destruction instead of creation. I'd like to be able to understand firsthand like where they, they have the abilities to mobilize masses, to, to bring more joy and more kindness into the world. And instead, they use their platforms for destruction and hatred and, and more darkness. And so I think a part of me uh, would like to speak to people like that one-on-one -on -one and find out because I like to think that love is all that we are and that people forget that and that's how you see the the injustices and the inhumanity in the world and people truly lose their way 
And so it would be interesting for me to have a one-on-one conversation with a figure like that who, um, who just uses their power and their wealth for the destruction uh, of humanity as opposed to the creation of more kindness. And so, I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting response for me to tell you this because ordinarily I would have gone for a more inspirational figure or somebody who's maybe known for, for better, kinder things. And if that were the case, I would say definitely someone like Oprah Winfrey um, mm-hmm. or President Barack Obama. It's interesting that you said those two because we've we've never had that answer before, and I think it's so interesting after everything we've talked about today. Yeah, like I I understand why you would want to choose yeah. them. Like, had you said that just out of the blue at the beginning of the conversation, I'd be like, <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> but then now having had that conversation, I'm like, especially you having that conversation because you're so good at articulating yes. your points and like questions and like I think you'd be so good at like challenging challenging them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And that's, that's what I think at the end of the day, I'd like to just go and it may be if, if there's nothing else other than just telling them telling me that they just like their power and money and they don't they don't care about what that does to the world, mm. because, you know, it doesn't impact them, mm. then I would still want to hear firsthand. But I think yeah. um, it's a very good question. Thank you for asking. And I, I hope that I hope that the most important conversations that any of us are able to have, which are with ourselves, and the people around us are rooted in kindness and compassion, uh, first and foremost, because the love, as we, uh, as we hear, the love that we give ourselves ultimately is the same love that will heal the world. That when we're in our thoughts and in our minds, that we're able to uh, be kind to ourselves. And when we have those conversations with our relatives and our friends, especially those that need it, that we can be rooted in that um, concept of, of love and kindness uh, so that more of that is what we plant and reap. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Eddie, for your time, for sharing all Thank your you, knowledge uh, you, with us. We truly appreciate it. Um, I will leave your My contact pleasure. in the description and in the show notes of the episode so people can learn a bit more about you and maybe reach out to you Perfect. if you have any question. And yeah, we will thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we will be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode as usual. Yeah. Thank Thank you you so much. much. I appreciate you both. Have a good one.